Welcome to the Liberal Europe Podcast, European Liberal Forum Project. I'm your host, Ricardo Silvestre. And with today's episode, we close what it is the first mini-series of podcasts. This one was dedicated to the future of political debate online. We started with Miroslava Saviris from Globset, where we talk about political ads on digital platforms. And then we had Professor Teresa Lajeras Balel, where we talked about regulation of digital platforms. And today we're going to talk about, well, political debate. A group at DuPaul University, led by Professor Amit Goldberg, studied tweets from 24 left-leaning organizations and 20 right-wing organizations. This for a total of 140,358 tweets. Negativity is more frequent and causes more impact than positivity. That is one of the main conclusions of the study. Social media is geared actually to make people produce positive content. However, it is the negative one that spreads more likely. Historically, news consumers have been already inclined for negative and lurid headlines, leading to the very famous saying in journalism, if it bleeds, it leads. On social media then, this is exacerbated with the effect of algorithms that use this principle to give us more and more negativity to increase our time and interaction in a digital platform. So how can we change this? How can we break this cycle? I'm very happy to have two people that can help me bring you another perspective of debate online and political debate included with optimism and nuance taking us a long way. Those people are Daniel Kadek, the executive director of the European Liberal Forum, and Matthias Sandin, co-founder and executive chairman of Warp Foundation. This is a very interesting and fascinating conversation, and with no further ado, because it extends a little bit, and that is a good thing, because these two gentlemen have a lot to say and very good things to give us, I bring you Daniel Kadek and Matthias Sandin. I'm here with Daniel Kadek and Matthias Shandin. Gentlemen, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much. I had you both on previous episodes, but uh, having conversations on different topics than the one we're going to have today. And this all started with a tweet that Daniel posted. So the thread of tweets go like this. Hashtag Instagramification of media politics. Reduction of complex matters to a picture of hashtag tweet size informational unit to grab attention in the vastness of the constant information stream. The subsequent debate is characterized by responses and follow-ups in the same style and increased by perceived importance due to algorithm decisions and consequent attention, which leaves no room for context or nuance. Due to competition for attention, the present issue are rapidly replaced by new informational units the lack of actual debate, nuancing or potential rectification manifests the causing matter as fact in the collective memory, even if factually wrong. And then Daniel, Daniel, you finish with what a glorious times in politics. Why debate content or nuance when you already have a great hashtag hashtag. So let's start with that, Daniel. Go a little more into the main concept behind it. Yeah, thank you. 
Indeed, this is something I've been contemplating for a, a quite long time now, and especially as I've been looking about um, something that's also pretty close to Matthias, and that is what is media doing to us and what is the constant informational stream doing with us and doing with our perspective on the world. And if you look at the media landscape that we have now, the informational streams that we have now, it is absolutely unprecedented. I mean, we, we come to we come from a caveman situation. It's, it's actually not that long ago where our brains are still wired to, where we would be telling stories about things um, that happened to us or that we have heard of. And information would travel very, very slowly. Then over time with letters, later, very late actually, with newspapers, daily newspapers, information started going ever faster, but still at a pace where, where um, it would not bombard you all the time with new informational pieces. Then we come to radio, we come to TV, all things that still reward a certain a research background, a certain context or nuance, because people have time to actually think about what they're writing. But then we come to the, the new age of information where, and that was glorified for, for, for a while, where we have everybody being their own journalist, everybody being able, sending out information into the ether. And not only have we TV and radio and newspapers still, but we also have the constant stream of information coming not only from our internet outlets that care about news, but also social media. So you're constantly bombarded with information that you have to make sense of. And not only that, but also everyone is well competing around your attention. So everybody needs to be more sensationalist. Uh, shorten information. Our attention span in a lot of times is, is shrinking. And culture and technology are developing at a pace which our caveman brains cannot cope with. And it needs to rely on certain old patterns to survive. And um, so we live in a constant state of anxiety, expectations um, that is fueled by this. And so we have this hashtag culture that is built up from that, what I wrote earlier. Uh, and what you kindly uh, cited, that we we live in hashtags. There are things put out, they cannot be rectified, they manifest then in, uh, in the collective knowledge and are seen as something that, that is true, whether it being true or not. So it's not about an exchange of opinions anymore. It's not about the convincing power of the better arguments, about winning, it's about reinforcing your own opinion, demonizing others in order to win. And this all creates this dangerous half knowledge. And having suffered through statistics seminars, the correlation and causation trap um, has whole societies in their grips. And that is also why we have this massive surge of conspiracy news, conspiracy videos, and so on and so forth. Just remember how much decline we had in the quote-unquote miracles with the invention of photography or video technology. Now we have the, the opposite way that somebody tweets something out and it is uh, considered a fact. Somebody uh, um, tweets something out. This has been picked up by, by media, by serious media or formerly serious media, and then made a story out of. And then Again, it reinforces the general anxiety, the constant alertness that we have in societies. Well, a lot of food for thought here. Thank you for that, Daniel. And I'll throw it to you now, Matthias, because Daniel just 
brought up a couple of things that are dangerous for a future of communication, a future of debate, you know, the bubbles, the reinforcement of opinions, the half-knowledge, the half-truths. So what's, what's your, your take on this? How do you react to this? Yeah, I, I agree on, on uh, some of the things there. Uh, it's, uh, if you look very broadly at news media, uh, there's uh, definitely a bias towards negative, uh, pessimistic headlines, um, alarming stuff, and uh, things like that. that. That's been the case where when we had newspapers that were <laughs> in paper and radio and TV um, also. So I, I definitely agree on that. I also agree on that there is a lot of simplification um, on on Twitter and in, in social media. And that's an easy way to get reactions uh, to not be nuanced, but instead uh, be the opposite of, of that. that that's, that's a great way to get reactions and retweets and, you know, um, and, and by that, that many, you know, especially um, politicians have, have used. If you, if you do that in social media, you also get attention in news media. So they, uh, they, they, they work together in, in, in that way. Donald Trump is the obvious example, but back in, in, in Sweden, we have a, a, a couple of examples like that, also politicians, members of parliaments that, that do that. So, uh, But I, I don't think that the, that the speed of, of communication is, is the problem. Uh, it's not that it's too fast for us or anything. I, I think we can, we can handle that. Um, and we have, uh, we use technology to handle that. Um, and um, it's not that we have just because news was much slower a uh, hundred years ago that that was better. Uh, I, I think that was much much worse. My favorite example of slow news <laughs> is in 1903 when we we I say we when the Wright brothers flew for the first time. They sent a, a telegram with that news, and a couple of newspapers picked it up a small small piece. Uh, they did so, uh, and it took actually it took years uh, before. Uh, large parts of, of the world knew that we have flown for the first time. Imagine something similar happening today. You know, there will be hundreds of millions of people watching the live stream. And now there were five people watching that moment in, in time. Uh, and one of them just happened to walk by <laughs> because he was skipping school. So, uh, but uh, and that wasn't better. Uh, I think that was much worse uh, when when news is, is is slow. So I don't think the speed is the problem. And my last point, uh, sorry, my last point here is that uh, uh, that I think uh, what technology um, creates for us is the opportunity to to counter this. Uh, I work with fact based optimistic news, uh, for example, uh, but um, there's so many opportunities. The thing we're doing now, we're we're in three different um, countries. We're recording a we're recording a, a podcast. Uh, you can get this out. Um, so so there's way to to counter this if we if we just try hard. It is interesting that you think that the speed of it, it's not a big problem because I, I tend to agree with Daniel that it may be too much speed. It may it may be too much volatility and too much quickness on the subjects and the subject changing and and daniel again bringing back to you and you also mentioned the vastness of constant information stream which are two different things the speed and the vastness yes but um let's go a little more into the into that how do you react to matthias uh, perception that that is not that much of a problem we landed again on mars that is 
tremendous news this year. But do we really talk about it? No, we talk about the problems that are all around us. We are talking about hashtags. We um, talk about the imminent problems that we have. Because bad news, unfortunately, and that is really a survival trait of, of humans, they just stick better. They have a much more stickiness. If we look at optimism, Matthias, that, that you mentioned, on global development on a worldwide scale, as a rule of thumb, the richer and more developed and more informed the country is, the more pessimistic um, people are about the future. If you ask people if their children will get financially better by in the future, only 40% in France, for instance, are optimistic that this is the case compared to, let's say, 91% um, in, in Vietnam. And while the world is not getting worse, the world is getting more complex. People have to make sense of this constant stream of information. And here we run into fundamental problems, the psychological mechanisms, and then again, media. Media sells best when it has bad news. Nobody cares about um, the headline, 20 million airplanes landed safely this year. It's the one that doesn't, that actually makes the news. And if we can, as media, make the point that there is an airplane that doesn't make it safely, that there is an issue that needs to be taken care of, people will take care, uh, will look into that, and um, it will create anxiety around it. That's something that we see a lot also now in political discourse. It is not about an exchange of arguments or facts anymore. It's about blurting something out and trying to have the most stickiness and being identified with something like that. I mean, there are politicians who t say we will literally die in 12 years from climate change. No, we will not do that. The world will be worse, but we will not literally die. And this is something that we see so much in the political debate. So there is something being tweeted out. It is being repopulated by, by news media. It is being re repopulated by politicians, then the cycle stands, and whether or not it was true in the first place doesn't matter anymore. So I would argue that speed and media are indeed a problem there. Um, don't get me wrong, I don't want to get rid of media, but the, we have to address this issue. And technology might be helping us to a certain degree, but technology is also partly the root cause of the problem because it speeds up the stream of information. Yes, we all know now that um, the new Mars rover landed, but nobody cares about that anymore because we have so much negative information, so much negativity and so much fear of the future that that doesn't matter anymore. But why is speed the, the problem? I agree on, on, on and you, you give a perfect example, uh, I, I think with the Mars rover that, that landed. Um, I I signed the, the editor-in-chief of, of, of the Dagens Nyheters, the daily news of, of Sweden, the Swedish largest uh, Paper here, uh, largest newspaper here in Sweden, uh, because uh, he he tweeted out uh, next um, next day's uh, front page, uh, and there were no Mars Mars rover on that, and I was like, uh, uh, what the and 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 no, it, it was the the helicopter. We flew a helicopter for the first time on Mars. There was nothing on the front page there. It was like. Why? What? What do they have to do to make it to the to the front page of, of a newspaper? That wasn't speed. That was that was then sort of focusing on because there were negative headlines instead on the front page. So, so what? What is the problem with with speed, uh, Daniel? I, I don't. Because the, the, the problem, the, the problem that, that I see is that you're constantly bombarded from ever fast traveling news. And the speed also means that there is very little time to look into the issue in itself. 
So you have something happening, you don't have any context to it, you're just um, presented with a fact. And then you have to make, make sense of it. And you not only have to make sense of things that are in your immediate environment or things that you would hear in the evening news that would be brought into context for you, um, but um, you hear constantly very fast uh, information that concerns matter all around the world. It, it might sound very cruel, but why is it relevant if there is a, a bus accident in Hyderabad um, for someone who lives in, in, in Venezuela? There, there, is no, there is no direct connection, but the message that, that you will get if you hear, oh, there is another crash um, of a bus somewhere um, that will heighten your anxiety and, see, and you will perceive certain technologies as more unsafe. Um, you will perceive certain situations as more unsafe. And this is because news has to be, or news channels have to be filled with information that adds up speed. Speed also um, matters when it comes to context, and it also matters when it comes to the, the, the general overview of things. So I'm not saying that, that we should um, put a break on things. I'm just saying that there is a fundamental problem that there is created with the speed of news, with the vastness especially of constant information that we have to make um, in a sense of, and last but not least, how media and especially politics are reacting to that and how all of that creates a melange in our collective memory that uh, manifests negativity and that leaves room for a lot more conspiracy theories, for a lot of more negativity and a lot more, well, unhappiness about the future than we care, can care for. Uh, Matthias, and without, you know, continuing too much on this particular question of speed, because we'll agree to disagree, but I'm, I'm going to go a little further than Daniel did, which because Daniel is mentioning, you know, the blurting out, the lack of context, the, the hashtag. But I remember uh, the New York Times having a mammoth piece of 20 pages, almost two years of investigation, President of the United States, Texas. This survived in the news for a day and a half, two days the most. Maybe it's a typical because of Trump was such, you know, a current of insanity that we always had something new. But do you see that this is happening in other places from your experience? Or do you think that this is just regarding to this strange phenomenon that was just a madman with a Twitter account. First, I, I think we, we can um, one thing that we can agree on that is that we want more news from Mars because that's a seven. Then you have a seven minute delay. <laughs> so when something happens on Mars, it's a seven minute delay. So so uh, and, and it can't be faster than that. At least not with the technology we, we have now. So so we can agree on that maybe. Yeah, um, uh, I I think much of that is is related to Trump, but it it feels like. He, he, especially here in Sweden where I am, but I also see that internationally. It's like um, we have a very hard time focusing on, on several things at the same time. It's, it's one thing, and we discuss that, um, and it could be pretty brief. Then we move on to the next thing and argue about that, and, and on it goes. Uh, it's all, often pretty minor things, but when something huge like this comes comes around, like like the, the, the excellent reporting they, they, they did, um, uh, it, it it should take uh, take up more um, time. I I think 
we have to find ways to to yeah to to talk about these things and and to expand those kind of news into other uh, newspapers or other media. From what we've seen when when we when we started posting uh, optimistic news uh, just in a small Facebook group, uh, we, we weren't organized or, or anything. We just posted stuff we found. Then we were afraid we're going to run out of optimistic or positive news, um, so uh, we won't have that much to post. But we've we've saw when we started looking that there's there's a huge amount of uh, optimistic news. The the problem is that it doesn't spread into other uh, other media. Uh, of course, this New York Times piece we talked about in in other media. But I would say uh, negative news uh, negative news spreads uh, a lot. Um, like like Daniel, great example. You know uh, of a bus crash on, on the other side of of the world. Of course, uh, that is that is horrible. But doesn't need to be big headlines here, but uh, positive news doesn't spread uh, uh, in in the same way if it's not something that is truly huge. Um, um, so 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 that's one concern. But we we have the opportunity to do that. We we can do that. We we can fix that. I'm I'm certain of it. We have to be more creative and try harder uh, and, and find new ways to do it. And, and I think we could. Daniel, you want to jump in? Yes, there are great things happening, but except for the Mars rover, let's just take another example just from last year that is still concerning us. We managed, as, as humankind, to develop vaccines within a matter of a year. I mean, how, how spectacular news is that? Um, and, and it's probably the best news in, in medicine we have in, in, in a very, very long time. But do we talk about how spectacular that is? No, we are not talking about how spectacular that is. We're talking about all the potential dangers. And then there is one study that potentially found that in 0.1% there is a certain danger, which is not even heightening the overall danger of, let's say, um, a, a certain follow-up a negative follow-up of the vaccine. And what are we talking about? Not how great the, vac the, the fact is that we have a vaccine. No, we talk about the potential danger. And that is being picked up by media. That's being picked up by politics. It's being brought throughout the entire process. And what are we left with? We are left with people who think that, that um, they, their lives are in danger if they take a vaccine, which actually... Will save will save their lives and not only theirs but also the life of their loved one. This is a big problem. And at the same time, things like the New York Times article, um, things that have been researched so well, don't don't have a stickiness of of a couple of hours. So and this is a problem because we are constantly bombarded with this high speed information um, that we are used to is out of the news already the next day. And this is something that I think is actually also dangerous to democracies. I think that is also one of the reasons why we have this surge of populist forces, because they try to not only help people make sense of things, they go to them and say, don't worry about things, we will take care of you. And they use the same techniques that make people afraid in the first place to show that they are the saviors. Um, and the classic politicians, the, let's say democratic politicians, don't have an answer to that, just as uh, media doesn't, because they are playing the same game. So it's not about um, agenda setting anymore, it's about agenda following. 
the entire time. It's running after trends then instead of setting points as politics, as media. And that is what I found dangerous. Matthias and I, I think, are fully on, on the same page. I love reading about good news. Um, I, I, I have an abonnement to, to all these news sites that, that show out how great technology is and what, what we can expect. We have now a, a series with Elf. It's called Science Not Fiction. How amazing um, technology is and what, what advances we can expect. But nonetheless, we are fighting an uphill battle here. I want to move on from the, uh, the speed and the vastness uh, topic, uh, getting a little bit into what Daniel just mentioned right now about simplification and also about trolling for negative reactions. But before that, D uh, Matthias, uh, do you want to go into this question about misinformation and the, the example that Daniel gave about the vaccines. Yeah, I, I think that is the perfect example, and I, and I agree 100%, not, not on the speed part there, of course, that we discussed it previously, but on the example itself of what is wrong with uh, with news media and also the spills over to, to social media. because and, and so we saw that that this amazing achievement, uh, we, we tried to find, has anyone written about this, the whole story, um, and no one had. So we, we actually um, we, we actually wrote it. Um, that's what I mean that we, we can do something about it. So we, we published a, a short ebook about it. And it, it's uh, just to take 30 seconds on, on, on that particular thing, it's you know the, the previous world record, how fast you can uh, get a vaccine for something was almost five years. Uh, and we did this in a few months. And all the experts, all the experts, even the most na super naive, super optimistic experts, they were totally too pessimistic uh, about the timeline. Uh, and it's one of the greatest achievements of, of humanity. And, and it, it shows what we can do when we put our mind to something. And of course, resources and everything. When we collaborate globally, when we already have a lot of science, a lot of research uh, over decades, and when we put our mind and resources to it, we can achieve so amazing, amazing things. But this has been completely out of the media. Nothing about this, you know, bits and parts here and there, but this story. So uh, on that, I totally agree. Th this, these are the kind of things that we need to tell and become much, much, much better at, at, at telling. Otherwise, you miss this. You think uh, you think the, the main thing about the vaccines is, is some some super minor side effect uh, instead of this this amazing amazing uh, achievement. I'm going to put on a show notes of the podcast this ebook that uh, Matthias just mentioned, and also Daniel was referring to the science not fiction event that Elf is organizing. But gentlemen, uh, time flies when we're having fun, and I do want to talk about another important issue in here, and that is, and Daniel was mentioning, and that is the simplification of message, and also the way to make them so that people react negatively. And Daniel, I'll throw it to you because you were talking about populists and how they use that tool, and we have to admit that they use it very well. MAGA, get Brexit done, simplification so that people will say, all right, I'm being taken care of, I've been made great again. So how can we fight this? How can we make this change to that line of politics that we're just discussing, the more open, the more democratic, the more interactive? I just would like to add that this is not a problem of the, of the right it is something that we see on, on both sides of the aisle. 
um, with different issues. Uh, on the one hand, make America great again and, and Brexit and we are the greatest. On the other side, say, we are all going to die. You will all suffer. Um, we will all be poor if we don't take away other people's property. So <laughs> it is it is very much dragging to these extreme positions and the, the, the middle ground is, is indeed being hollowed out. And this is also part of the political debate that we have. This We will take care of you um, the world is too complex and um, somebody else is at fault because uh, for your misery in brackets, even though despite the pandemic, we have never lived so good lives. Whilst we have that, whilst we have the complexity, there are those who want to reduce complexity, um, show us that the world is getting worse and that they have the solution for that. The only thing I think that politics can do about it is break the cycle of constantly blurting something out and calling people out for what they're doing. If we have a politician that says we are literally going to die in 12 years, well, call her out. If we have a politician that says those people coming in are X, Y, Z, and that's why we need to take care of them, then we need to call them out. But not only dwell on them and let them set the agenda, but also set our own agenda. Tell people what we are standing for. Tell people that something also Matthias is doing, that the world is becoming a better place, how it is becoming a better place. Debunk the things that the others are, but agenda setting, that is the key word here. We are not doing agenda setting as Democrat, liberals or Democrats anymore. We are, we are following agendas that have been set by others. If the agendas have been set by others, the semantics have been made by others, and we're following the semantics that others have set. And therefore, we are following the overall narrative. And that is, I think, something that needs to be broken. We need to be standing for things. We need to be showing people that things are better. We need to be calling them out, um, amongst others. That's why we also asked Matthias to be one of our authors for our uh, Fear of the Future publication that came out last year. So we want to show that the world is going, getting a better place, but we actually need also to be brave and bold about that and not be um, scared away by 15 tweets that say something bad about that. We, we work in politics, we work with media, we should be used to that by now. Don't be afraid of a small vocal minority that tries to attack you for something when you are objectively doing something good. Matthias, I'm very interested also in having your take on this, but I'm going to stay with Daniel for one more minute because then, Daniel, the question is, can we do all this that you just mentioned, but using the same tools? So using memes, using tweets, short tweets with short threads, or do we think we need to break with that also? We, we should get away from only relying on that. We should get away from only trying to have our communication there. And there is the crux. Media very often relies on that. I mean, just imagine 15 years ago, the headline, there was a shitstorm about something that said, or somebody on Twitter said something. Who would have cared? 15 uh, years ago, what, what 150 people discussed on, on Twitter. And if media doesn't break that cycle, we still will have a problem. If, uh, if politics uh, doesn't stop reacting to everything that is pushed through the village like that, then we have a problem. Yes, we should be 
using these communication channels too, but we should be using them differently. Not in order to only blurt things out in the same fashion, but rather to state something that we can stand behind, sending out information, good information, positive information that we have, and not follow all these negative cycles that the other side is doing. Matthias, there are some optimistic signs and using an expression that we all like because what Daniel is saying I saw that on part of digital media which was this uh, absolute certainty that thing was things were going to be shortened out to just one sentence and it's not true long pieces are still read and still people people still look for that kind of long reflexive material to read and to think so how do you break this cycle like Daniel was saying? What is your opinion on this? In, in politics, it seems like everyone is running, always running in the same direction, using sort of the same kind of methods uh, to communicate. Um, I grew tired of, of, of that when I was in politics, that you always have to be so super negative um, and always try to find a, a negative conflict. You can have a sort of a positive conflict, different, different opinions, and that could be fun and interesting and engaging but it's always complaining about things and and trying to uh, make the, the opponent look worse than they actually are or, or misunder misunderstanding them uh, intentionally misunderstanding them when everyone is running in the same direction or thinking the same thing or doing the same thing there's always an opportunity there because that's not what everyone wants some uh, some voters definitely react to that and want that uh, other other people other people don't uh, they want something else so for example i argued when i was in politics that my party then uh, the liberal party in sweden that we should be those kind of super optimistic uh, uh, people uh, or, or politicians talking about the future having solutions for the future not ignoring problems but you know and and the argument I got was, but we, we have to have uh, a, a disagreement. We have to have, have a conflict. And I say, try and go out being very optimistic. <laughs> You'll get into conflicts <laughs> with a lot of people. So there's an opportunity there. And, and the same thing with, like Daniel mentioned, with other kinds of, of content. Uh, you see, if, if you just look at YouTube, for example, there's so many YouTube channels on every every topic you can imagine, uh, and there's often, you know, if you like that, super long interviews. If politicians were brave enough um, uh, or understood this, they could also be super nerdy on topics, and you'll find voters, uh, or the voters will find that. Uh, you don't have to reach all voters all the time with it, with everything. So I think uh, I think there's some the, some real opportunities there but now it seems like no one is really in politics no one is really trying they're just doing the same thing as the the, the other people are are doing and and blaming saying well people, voters don't listen to nuance they do if 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 we try and I, I think understanding that this is a problem is the, is the first step like we're talking about now that's a great point Matthias and it goes into what Daniel was saying and I'll try to summarize it with something that I wrote about it which it, it totally caught my attention while studying this, which is called the marketplace of ideas. And I think that we are impoverishing that marketplace by what Daniel tweeted about, and that is to make it more dumb and more, you know, superficial and not, not nuanced 
so that we can have a richer discussion. So I think that it will have to go to that direction, what you gentlemen just mentioned, and that is to make it more comprehensive, to make it more uh, inclusive also, because the other thing, and, and Daniel, the, the question about memes was not uh, an innocent one, because memes are a tremendous tool to make people have fun at the same time that they're polarizing those people, to make them to make people turn against each other, but in, in a fun way. So there's there's a lot of threats, there's a lot of things that we need to keep stay focused and keep working on to make this ecosystem works better and to have a better democratic process of discussion and and consensus finding. Gentlemen, this has been great and I hope that we can continue this conversation in the near future. But now, in the final minutes that we have, I would like to have your final thoughts on not only the discussion that we had, but what is the future, you know, short term, and other things that you're seeing coming on the horizon. And let's start with you, Matthias. Well, what I see is that uh, we're we're just, uh, or it's it's a constant change of, of media, of course, uh, but we're sort of just at the beginning of, of this internet era, uh, uh, media in the internet era. We have all of the old media still with us, <laughs> um, and we're heading into something new also. And the opportunity that most people have missed, that is a business opportunity in itself, but also a media opportunity, is that when you have a global audience uh, or a potential global audience of now 4 billion people, and that's expanding, and when people have, have, better, um, have a better economic situation and, and democracy, so it will eventually uh, be all of humanity. So then you can have a, if you have a, but now if you have a potential audience of 4 billion people, even if you have a very, very narrow niche uh, in there, uh, it's still millions of people that is your actual target audience. Uh, if you get them to pay you a little bit uh, subscription or you have ads or whatever model you use uh, for that, and, uh, if you use YouTube, for example, uh, it's still potentially millions of people. And that makes it possible to to do very good media uh, uh, for very, very narrow uh, narrow topics or interests or whatever it is that the traditional media that we've seen today has not been ever able to cover because they have to reach a big, broad audience very often. Uh, even magazines, and, and, and they're often in a, they're for a country or something like that. It's not, media is usually not global in that way, but that is changing and that opens up a huge amount of opportunities and we can have these if we are if we understand this uh, who want not wants the, this dumbed down version of, of communications there's a huge opportunity here um, like you said before the populists are very good at using um, twitter and social media and and the, the old media uh, logic uh, we can move into this new where this new space with these huge opportunities and, and really really make sure that the kind of media we want to see uh, is, is dominant in, in that era. Daniel, how about you? What do you see? You as also the executive director of a political foundation that has so many member associations uh, working on the field. What can we do? Uh, first of all, um, I cannot have anything against memes. I can out myself as being a field marshal on uh, nine gags. So um, I, I have that now. <laughs> Um, so therefore, um, no worries. I'm 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 very happy about that. Just about what Matthias said, I would 
put it with a grain of salt. I also see the huge opportunities of finding like-minded people all around the world. But there is also the flip side. It is something that we've seen a lot in the recent years, especially on social media, and that is the global network of village idiots. That is that you not only have your crazy uncle on your table, and but all the crazy uncles are getting together and spreading their conspiracy theories. And that is what I think is very dangerous. And also people who don't necessarily have all the information, but a lot of opinion about that tend to be very loud. People with a lot of information don't tend to be very loud. So there is this cacophony of, of very loud voices. And the, the thing that I'm hinting to is I think it will be getting still worse and then it will getting better. We will have things being brought to our collective knowledge or collective memory that are factually wrong um, that will have a very strong stickiness. My favorite example is the gender pay gap. There is a de facto gender pay gap, but if you clean it out, it becomes not 25, but, um, but, but 3 or 4%. So, but we're always, always talking about 25%, but we, it's the 3 to 4% that we really need to address. So instead of looking into these things, into, into things that really matter, the 3 to 4%, we have to, we are looking in partially artificially um, blown up problems that we see all around. That is, I think, one of the issues that is, is still to come and that we have to take care of. How do we get out of that? Indeed, being clear about what we stand for, being clear about what we want, what we want to achieve. For a political foundation like ours, that is having teaching tools to our like-minded community how to battle these, these negative trends, how to make good news sexy, how to make good news so attractive that having a freaking um, helicopter on a foreign planet, not only being a side news, but the centerpiece of what we have. It is by getting information out, of, getting using the news channels, teaching um, our friends, being taught by our friends how to do that better and trying to convince the general public, but also convince both policy and media makers to retract a little bit from this constant stream of information, of answering back and forth of things that are really non-issues in the end of the day. So yes, there is a lot of dark, but also I see a lot of light and there are things that Matthias is doing with Warp Institute and, and others um, that I think are amazing and especially this focus on the things that are positive. The, the better tomorrow, convincing people that tomorrow will be better. Yeah, today is better than yesterday and tomorrow will be better than today. This is something we need to look into. Not, not one crazy utopia, but something that is indeed achievable and will make our life better. Not that we think that our kids will have it worse, but our kids will find a will have a world that we, by any standards, would consider being science fiction. Just imagine a hundred years ago talking about self-driving cars, space tourism, and and other things, um, vaccines within one year, vertical farming. I mean, how crazy is that? And these are things that we as a political foundations, as liberals, as Democrats, as people with a positive notion about the future need to put forward that everyone has the potential to change the world to the better and we need to give them the tools to do so. 
this was an exercise in making things better on how to have healthy conversation and talk about politics online. But for now, I'm going to thank so much these two gentlemen for talking to me, for bringing their expertise. And like I just said, I hope to have you guys back because we're just starting this conversation. So thank you again so much for coming to the podcast. Thank, thank you, Ricardo. Thank you. I'm back, just reminded that you can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. And if you feel like it, give us a five-star review. In that way, you can help us spread even more liberal values and ideas. And this is all for now. I'll be back soon with more podcasts. Until then, let's keep making the world a better place. The Liberal Europe podcast, it's organized by the European Liberal Forum with the support of Movimento Liberal Social in Portugal. This podcast is co-founded by the European Parliament, and the European Parliament is not responsible for the contents of this podcast or any news that may be made of it. The views expressed on this podcast do not necessarily...